Hello there and welcome to the first episode of Animated Conversations. I'm your host Andy Williams and I'm today joined by a very special guest, Sergio Jimenez, head of studio at Pinkman.tv, the studio behind the groundbreaking and mesmerising Jibaro episode of Love, Death and Robots. Jibaro was directed by the visionary creative Alberto Melagil. He's constantly pushing the boundaries of animation and Sergio is the man charged with keeping everything on track. Not a simple job, I'd imagine. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the production of Jabara and diving in more detail into how something of that scale is put together. Sergio, thanks very much for being a guest on the show. Can you briefly introduce yourself and describe your role at Pinkman.tv? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Sergio. Um, Sergio for Spanish speakers. Um, I've been a producer in animation and VFX for at least, uh, I would say, 17, 18 years. Um, I worked in different companies as, uh, as well as starting in the business um, by managing my own studio, my own animation studio back in Spain, in Barcelona, for 15 years, actually. Um, the last uh, years I've been working in different companies, and in the last two years I've been working with Alberto in Pigman TV. I'm basically the head of studio and the managing director. My role basically entails to take care of everything related to business development and business management. And also I take care of the production. I'm the head of production as well. Um, and my goal basically is to make sure that every project that Alberto wants to pursue is successful. That's amazing. Um, so can we have a look, can you explain a bit about how you came to work with Alberto and kind of what makes his approach to animation different from other directors? Yeah, we came to work together basically because we know we have contacts in common and uh, he was looking for somebody to produce his shows. Pigman is basically a company that is born with one main purpose uh, from the beginning, which is executing Alberto's ideas, Alberto's projects. And um, he needed somebody to not only act as a producer, but also take care of the business. Um, so because of uh, common contacts that we have, um, we were put together in a, in a call. We sort of understood each other and liked each other. And since then, we just kicked it off, starting with the, the main, the first challenge, which was Jibaro. About how his approach to animation is different. Well, I guess, I guess it's understandable um, if you start looking at the profile of Alberto himself, um, he's basically an artist, he's a painter. Apart yeah. from that, uh, he started in the world of animation by doing storyboards, by animating himself into the... Uh, then he went into art direction and production design, and then he went into directing, right? That is more or less um, very summarized a very long yeah. uh, career of Alberto. But I think, I think at the core, he's an artist, he's a painter. He, so when, when an artist and a painter, he has got like a vision. And specifically, Alberto, I think he's got like a very visual um, narrative style. Um, yeah. So it is different because it, I think it comes from that place, right? Um, so he challenges many times what is already established in very well-established pipelines or workflows or, or, or processes, he challenges that in order to achieve his vision. And, um, and because 
we have that freedom in pigment uh, because that is the main goal of pigment is to accommodate that vision um, we are able to do that great and i think one of the things i'm really struck by is in a way when i look at his work it doesn't look like it's something that fits into that kind of conventional very kind of pipeline streamed approach to animation it feels like he's really kind of pushing in terms of what what can be achieved at all of those steps which which must be quite a challenge in terms of kind of marshalling all of that and and managing that yeah well you see the projects are clearly different and sometimes as an audience you you keep on wondering you could be asking to yourself why is that why, why is this different and i think it comes from very different places at the same time so number one is the scripts number one is the the topics the storytelling the narrative the 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 sort of he says many times he has seen that he doesn't talk about heroes or superheroes he is more interested in losers and super losers and he doesn't want anybody to particularly win in his stories. Maybe they are all uh, losing. Uh, so that approach in itself is different, right? Then I think it comes also from other parts. It's like the way he uses the camera to, to tell a story. Uh, normally, or sometimes, I'm not saying that um, other productions for kids are not sophisticated. They are very sophisticated. But um, the, the, the storytelling, the narrative that he uses with the camera, it's, it's very special in my view. Uh, he puts the camera in places where I wouldn't imagine at all. And yeah. then the, the visual style, the, the, the end result um, in terms of materials, in terms of proportions, in terms of the animation style, in terms of the effects that are needed in there, etc., they are also very unique. And then he manages to combine all that sometimes with very simple graphic uh, elements that are very surprising that you see in this frame, in that other frame. And um, he was uh, sort of very, um, he was very new using that, right? Yeah. So I think it's all those different concepts at the same time when you put them all together that you see, oh, this is very different. Um, this is unique. It, it, is, it is very singular. Yeah, and it feels very, I mean, you talked about his, his career as a painter, but it feels very sort of painterly, his approach to that. And I think one of the things I was getting at with the, with the difference from a very streamlined pipeline approach to animation is I think a lot of people look at, they look at Jabaro, they look at The Witness, um, and they assume that it's motion capture. In terms oh, yeah, of that, 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 is, that is a question that is raised many, many times, uh, to be honest. M motion capture is a great tool, and it's very yeah. useful depending on the project. Um, I've worked in many projects where motion capture was the solution. Now, in Pingman, we do not do motion capture. We also do not do uh, rotoscopy or anything like that. We do keyframe animation and the animators that spend there like a long time animating. Yeah, now, why does it look different? Or you could tell it's, oh, it's probably motion capture. Because we are very used to see that when it is a more cartoonish animation, it is something that we assume directly, oh, those are very exaggerated or very specific sort of motion movements. So therefore, 
they must have done it on purpose, keyframe animation. And when we see realistic, we've been, we are very used to see um, video game cinematics where you are actually looking for very realistic animation. Yeah. And um, so therefore you use motion capture. So now when you see very realistic animation, which is our case, you, your brain sort of thinks, oh, this must be motion capture. But in our case, it isn't. Now, why this happens? We use very realistic um, sort of uh, proportions in our characters. It doesn't mean that the end result of the characters are realistic, but the proportions are very realistic. Yep. That facilitates that the motion and the animation of the characters is also realistic. And um, we basically do not do motion capture because there is a difference you can tell. I wish I could explain this better to you, but, but, but I'm not an animator. Yeah, um, but, I but I, I'll do my best. Yeah. But between, between the motion capture, how a computer checks the motion and an animator looking at a reference and trying to get as close as, to that reference as possible, there are certain nuances, certain details uh, in the motion that, that, that are different. Yeah. Um, now, in order to achieve these, um, you can see these in one of the behind the scenes presented by Alberto in the past. Um, we actually shoot live action the whole show and then we put it together with all the references of the actors. The reason we do this is because the Alberto as an animate as a as a as a director, he likes directing the performances of the actors. So he he likes getting what he wants from the actors. Instead of going and giving feedback to many different animators that are all of them animating a chunk of, of the show, um, we think it's actually more cost effective to yeah, direct once the actors get from them what he wants, put the camera where he wants, and then edit all that and give that as a reference to the animators so that they have a very clear reference of what they need to animate. And does that serve as this effectively the animatic then? Well, that. that is a process that happens just after the animatic. Fine, the, okay. animatic is, the animatic is also a fantastic tool that we do have at Pigment, and it's also led and mainly done by by Alberto. As I said to you, he also was a storyboarder. Yeah. Um, so the best way for him to actually come up with the idea and, and come up with the visual storytelling is by making his own storyboards. Then he turns it into an animatic, and that is like the Bible for us. And that comes very, very, very early in the process. Like if you see the animatic that we had at the very beginning of the process, um, I would put that directly on Netflix. Amazing. And just to go quickly back to the live action reference that you're talking about, I uh, I recently watched um, Sleeping Beauty, the Disney uh, movie, kind of, you know, real old, uh, an old Disney movie. And there were parts in that where that was a period where they really used a lot of um, recorded live yeah, action, live action references. references. Yeah. And, and it seems a very odd uh, um, comparison, but it sort of reminded me in places a bit of Jabaro and that kind of um, that approach, because there are bits where you can you can definitely see it's a very naturalistic motion where it has been recorded from the, where they've kind of filmed a live action uh, actor and then use that as the building blocks of their references. And you can see yeah. that that kind of approach is similar to the way um, Alberto approaches his kind of animation in some respects. 
I do not think it's an odd comparison. I mean, it's compari- the, the comparison is odd because the end result is so different. Yep. But the approach is, is very similar. They used to, they used to use um, live-action references of people dancing and doing the choreography, uh, and then they would animate um, based on, the, on that motion. So it's not something very different. Um, many... Um, animators that show their showreel or their process in animation when working in movies that they are doing in Pixar or Disney or DreamWorks, etc. You can see the animator taking his iPhone or his smartphone, putting it in the kitchen, um, recording themselves doing an action, and then they use that as an inspiration to actually approach the, the shot. And we do exactly the same. It's just that we do exactly the same and we professionalize the, the that doesn't mean that they are not professionals, the, the system, but what we do is we go a little bit farther and yeah. we shoot the whole thing. We hire a crew. We shot the whole, the show, the whole episode. Then we put it together and we use that as a reference. Not only and, that, and we give I, different cameras. Yeah. Well. And I think it's, that's what was reminding me of the Sleeping Beauty uh, comparison because they're the live action. Everyone's fully cost. They've got, they're in costume. They've got props. Um, there's quite a lot of the stuff that they've u- that they're filming to use as reference for the animation. Whereas typically I'm more used to seeing an animator themselves kind of, as you, as you said, kind of exactly. filming themselves on an iPhone, but it won't be, they won't be in costume and they won't be, it won't be so quite. So now imagine, more. now imagine instead of having each animator recording their own reference and making their own interpretation of a performance of a character. Yeah. We just we just take that away, put it into one character that we want. In this case also because look at these characters, they are dancers, they need to dance. Yeah. They are professional dancers. There is a very specific choreography um coming from a choreographer. The choreographer is helping also Alberto direct the motion of and the dance of those characters. So we take that away from the animators to put it in hands of Alberto, and then we give back fantastic references with three cameras, two orthogonal cameras, and then the camera of the animator, so that you of the, of the director, so that you have like um, a very clear vision of what's going on from every single angle. Amazing, amazing. One of the things that you mentioned um, before our, uh, before this um, call was you talked about a pyramid system um, in yeah. terms of your approach to production. Could you kind of explain a bit more about what, what that involves and what that means? Yeah. Um, so what happens is when you need to approach projects like Hibaro and any major animation project, basically, the, the 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 problem is too big, um, so you sort of need to separate, like divide it in layers, and those layers are the way at least that it works in my mind, right? Like it's like a pyramid where at the very bottom there is a layer of management, because at the end of the day you're a company, you need to deal with other companies and relationship with other institutions, relationship with the tax authority, with the et cetera, et cetera, right? So you need to make contracts, you need to make all that, right? So that layer of management needs to exist and needs, needs to be very solid. Then after that, you need a layer of finance, like all that needs gasoline. Like you need to, you need to put gasoline in the machine, right? In order to be run. So you need to be able to know your cost, 
no uh, negotiate with your clients what the money is going to be doing, at which pace the money is going to come in, at which pace you're going to be spending it, etc. Right. So there is that layer of finance. Then after that, there is technology. You need you need technology to serve the people who's going to come later. And technology means not only the hardware and the software, but also what comes behind things like communication, right? Like a company is a source of constant communication, data, information constantly happening. And you need to capture that, organize it, and so that you can put it in front of people in a timely manner and also knowing that it's true, that it's, you know, that you can rely on it, etc. right? Then apart from... After technology, there is another layer, which is production, which is how do we organize this now for the product that we actually need to do, right? And animation production has got like a very specific pipeline, very uh, common throughout many different companies. And then companies have their own thing, like I can have like my own render engine, I can have my own production system, etc. But then animation pipeline more or less is very similar from one company to another, right? Um, but in, in, in Pingman, for example, it's a little bit different, right? Like there are several processes in there that happen maybe at the same time th longer than in other companies. Yeah. Maybe we have a, a moment where we do some things before and companies do the next thing later. Uh, but yeah, there are several things in there about production. So production would be another another layer and at the end at the very top of the pyramid the pyramid is people is the yeah. talent all these that i just said is serving one purpose which is we need to hire very talented people and we need to facilitate that they do their job not only on a timely manner but if possible being there them being happy satisfied yeah. fulfilled um very well directed um, so people at the at the very top of the pyramid as served by all these layers that I just described. Great. And how did how did your how did the, your approach to the technology and the kind of people management um, change during the production of Jabara? Because I'd imagine that that fell in the middle of kind of lockdowns and pandemics as well. So um, so that was another kind of wrinkle in terms of how you yeah. approached it. Yeah, I think the, the COVID obviously was a challenge uh, for everybody around the world, obviously. And we are not the only ones who had to face that challenge. Yep. And many companies had to go and have like a hybrid system working not only from the office, but also working remotely. In our case, when we were starting Jibaro, we had this thing, oh, is the, is the pandemic going to slow down? Or shall we, and therefore, shall we take the risk of having an office and, and put people together, etc. We decided that that was too much of a risk and we needed to set up a studio that was 100% remote. Our base is in Madrid and therefore um, we do work from Madrid from the tax point of view, from the organization point of view, institutional yep. point of view. But when we decided that we needed to go 100% remote, um, the challenge was, okay, how do we do this? Because you might think that this was like a done deal in terms of um, problem solving, because you would say, I very naively went to different companies, very well known, all of them, sort of finding for a solution, saying, okay, so look, we are an animation studio, 
we have these profiles of people working, they have these needs of software and hardware, can you give me a solution where I just plug them in and then you just give me a price? And yes, it does exist, but it's not plug and play. Um, you need to think about the type of machine that you want, for how long, the bandwidth, the data that you're going to generate, etc., etc. So I thought, okay, so in order for them to give me the service, we actually need to be the ones coming up with the solution, in fact, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they give you support, etc., but it's not a plug and play. So we decided, all right, with our um, technical supervisor, etc., we decided, why don't we create that service ourselves? So what we did is we found a place in Madrid. We stripped it from all the from all the installations and all the setup. We plugged ours, bought a bunch of machines uh, that would be our virtual sort of studio. And um, in a matter of, it was it was quite of a challenge and it was very difficult to do. But in a couple of months, we set up a studio that was giving service to capacity for more than 100 seats. Wow. Uh, so you could basically be anywhere in the world with an internet connection and connect to our server, have a virtual machine of ours already with the setup of software licenses, etc. Not only that, also with a system of communication where you could publish stuff, give feedback, communicate with everybody, communicate with Alberto, with the system of deliveries, etc. Uh, that was a, a very big challenge, but we decided to do it ourselves. So now we have like a room where you can connect from anywhere in the world. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. And were there, during that whole process, were there kind of challenges that you predicted and then others that kind of came out of the blue that you weren't really anticipating? Yeah, well, when you're facing any producer, when they face new projects, they have like your typical usual suspects, right? Like, you know, if the, comp if the project is going to be long or short or very demanding visually or this or that, right? So those usual suspects, when I was thinking about them, I thought, okay, so this is a show that is in the third season. So it's going to be, there are certain expectations from the audience. Yeah. It's a show that is basically managed by Netflix, but also by Blur, which is acting as a production company. And Blur is has very high expectations. They are very good at what they do. So you you need to to give a product that is going to be as good as theirs. And then you have Alberto Mielgo, uh, which is a director who's been directing amazing things uh, since he started um, very early in his career. It's like there is not a single project of Alberto that you say, meh, eh, more or less. No, all of them are is like, wow, eh, Beautiful, amazing, outstanding, right? Like that. Yeah. So those are the usual suspects, right? Then you have also very common that comes specifically when you read the story or when you actually see the Bible that I told you, which is the 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 animatic, right? So in this case, many characters, complex characters, <laughs> when they don't have an armor, they have a system of chains that we are going to have to simulate. They have hair, yeah. they have cloth. Lots of water. Um, water is not only a thing, it's not only an effects right now. We treat we treated water as if it was another character. It's like, okay, yeah. so we have this bunch of characters and also we have water. Not only water in a lake, not only water in um 
in a waterfall, but also in a river. And then characters go inside the water, under the water, on the top of the water, on a horse, with the chains, with the cloth, with the hair. And then also they kill each other, so there is blood mixing with that water. And then if you were not satisfied with that, at the very end of the project, <laughs> there, is, there is a river of uh, blood going against the river of water. So if you can, as you can imagine, our yeah. team of VFX, FX, water, liquids, character effects, plants, which is another, another thing. By the way, this happens in a, on, a, on a forest completely full of plants. The plants move where the characters are moving around. So as you can see, the challenges coming from the story itself were also very big, right? Yeah. But as you were saying, there were also challenges that were completely unpredictable. Um, for example, this thing that I told you of setting up a studio uh, remotely to give service to more than 100 people, right? That was yep. the first challenge. That you, It's a very unique situation having a pandemic in the world, having to give a solution for that. But let me tell you silly things. For example, in winter, there was a storm that, led, that left our studio incommunicated for more than one week. Oh, no. Wow. For example... But not only that, in summer, there was a heat wave. And that heat wave arrived in Madrid exactly at the moment of our peak of render. So that means all our machines were at the peak of performance. Right. And not only the heat wave came, but also uh, we had to realize that our, our aircon system was not working properly. So we needed to reinstall an industrial aircon system in order to cool down the system in, in that heat wave. Incredible. Um, there were also other things that happened. For example, there was, there was a crisis of microchips around the world. If you remember, it was very difficult um, to get machines with graphic cards that actually were performing as, as Animation Studio wanted. So it was very difficult to buy a machine uh, for an animator or for VFX or for simulation. It was very, very difficult. Then there was other crises, um, crisis of recruitment, for example. Um, fortunately for everybody in the industry, the industry of animation has been uh, suffering like an exponential growth, um, mainly kicked off also by the pandemic. Yep. But that means that studios are fighting for to get the best talent. Yep. So for us, it was a real challenge uh, to actually get uh, people on board of Hibaro, uh, and that was also struggled. So all that combination is how you, you know, the things that you need to face when you are producing something like Hibaro in that specific period of time. Um, I mean, that's real tested on the fire as well, I'd imagine. That is, yes, uh, that test is, that tests everybody's will, everybody's... Um, sort of um, willingness to actually do the project. Like you really need people who is very stubborn, very committed, and that they are also very generous in order to, to put together a piece like Gibaro, yes. That's great. And it's testament, I think, to yours and Alberto's leadership as well. I'd imagine that kind of helps kind of keep everyone kind of feeling part of a team, even though it's it's remote, they're, they're still kind of inspired by that shared vision. Yeah, well, the, one, of the, one of the reasons why Gibaro is a success is because 
the decision making needs to happen very quickly. Yeah. Um, and we have two points of decision making in, in Pingman. One is very clear, is the creative vision of Alberto as a director. Um, everybody knows that he's got very clear in his brain what he wants to achieve. And that is, we don't waste our time questioning that. Like, why would you? Um, he's shown already what he's capable of thinking and coming up with. So his leadership is very clear. We just go and pursue whatever he wants to pursue, creatively speaking. And then in terms of management and organization, you have me, where in Pingman, if you need something, if you need to buy something, if you have a problem with software, with hardware, with this or that, the, you have only one layer that you, need to, that you need to go through in order to achieve it. You just talk to, talk to Sergio, I think about it, take five minutes in taking the decision, we take the decision and we move on. Instead of, as opposed in other probably more complex uh, organizations where if you want to buy a pencil, you need to make a request to the finance team and then make a request to this and then it gets approved and then the approval gets one week later and then after one week you have a pencil where you can, that you can use in order to yeah. write. Right. And, and that yeah. kind of responsiveness and nimbleness is kind of invaluable, I'd imagine, really. It, well, it is the key. We knew... It's not all. It's not, it's not that we need. Did, we did it that way, because that is the way that we thought it was. It's just that we couldn't afford doing it otherwise, because we had a very tight deadline, and we have not many months to do it. Like some people is asking me, how long did you take to actually produce this? Some people has been asking, oh, how many years? Yeah. And I said, well, I wish I had had some years. <laughs> I would have done a couple of Jibaros probably. <laughs> um, uh, but no, um, it took us 10 months of CG production. Uh, that took us exactly 10 months. It is true that we have to add one more month for the shooting of the references. And it is true that Alberto comes up with the script, the storyboard and the animatic before. But from the moment we have the animatic till we start CG animation, that is 10 months of 100, 170 people in total, um, 108 people CG animated. Incredible. Incredible. One of the things I kind of wanted to just sort of circle back and pick up on is you talked about one of the, th the pressure of, you know, it's Love, Death and Robots. It's kind of... Um, it's the third season. I kind of, I'm curious to know with the different production companies working on their own shorts, is there that sense of kind of healthy kind of competitiveness to kind of people look at what other people are delivering and kind of want to, you know, they're, they're kind of on some level there, they want to kind of, you know, do, do as good or maybe better than the, the, the other thing. I, I would say it's not only healthy, healthy competitiveness, it's also even excitement. Um, I was very excited to see what other companies were coming up with. And uh, it is not this thing where you look at the other one, you know, from the corner of the eye saying, oh, what are, what are they doing? Let's make it better than them or anything like that. It's no, 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 no. It's like, wow, they are helping to do the show even better. Let's let's help also in the same direction and do it amazing as well, right? Um, so yeah, I think 
what Netflix and Blur and all the executive producers have done with the show Love There and Robots is to create some sort of very weird camaraderie between studios that probably seem to be rivals and competitors for in the same market. But that energy that you create against one another somehow magically is put together in the same direction. And there you are. You get like a fantastic show where everybody is very proud and very willing to make it even better every time. Um, so yeah, that's that's magic actually. I, I Incredible. Thank you for the question because I never thought about it. But yeah, that is what happens. Is like you just transform and reorientate that energy into something very positive. Yeah, you're all playing on the same team ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. And so my final question was: I mean, how how has it been since the kind of release of Jibaro? Has it um, has the kind of reception kind of you must be kind of gratified by the reception because it's been well, it is praised. It, it is very rewarding to see that people accept the project very well. And some of the people don't accept it, but actually it is, it is kind of the reaction that I think Alberto was looking for, which is at least you are not indifferent to it. Yeah. You might like it, you might love it, you might hate it, but I don't think you can watch Jibaro and be indifferent. Um, so in that sense, the response has been mainly very positive. Yeah. Very, very positive. Like um, there is also a very a, a lot of satisfaction, specifically for me, not for me personally, of course, but because it was, it was such a challenging project uh, that you kind of say thank you for that because the people who was involved uh, feel also that gratification, and more on a personal level as well for Alberto because. It's a very personal thing for Alberto. He takes a lot of risks, a lot of risks, uh, personally and professionally, in order to make something like Jibaro a reality. And I think he deserves the, the recognition. Absolutely. Uh, not only for Jibaro, but also because he's been doing that in all his projects. He puts his soul, his time, his money, his resources, his everything. And um, because just basically he loves it and he yeah. believes in it. And when that is met with people looking at the, at the show, not only that, but also creating fan art or also creating the cosplayers uh, that are around the world. Um, I was looking yesterday and there are videos on TikTok with millions and millions and millions of views. Amazing. When I start adding, adding them all up, and I think, well, there is like more than 300 million views on cosplayers for the characters of Alberto, you know. Then is when you see, oh, there is an impact. Yeah, there and that love social... is reciprocated, really. Do you know I mean? It kind of, that, there... that can't be faked. Yeah, no, it can't. And, and it is a social impact that also one of the other things that I think is very valuable is it's global. It happens in the United States, in China, in Canada in India, et cetera, et cetera. It happens all, all, all around the world. And, uh, and that is very, very rewarding. Very rewarding, yes. Amazing. Uh, one, I, I know I said that was my final question. I just wanted to kind of round up by just asking, what are the plans for the future? Kind of what have you got um, cooking at the moment that you can talk about? Or is it kind of 
Um, yeah, top- well, we have several projects on on the oven, basically, as you were making a reference cooking. Um, every different project is at a different stage of, of development, but we are, let me tell you what our goal is. Our pursuit is an Alberto Mielgo's feature film. That was that is our goal. Um, we are already working on it. Alberto is already working on it. I've seen amazing things already. Um, he is again in the studio, you know, with the machinery going on. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, it is also, of course, another challenge, uh, but we are very committed to do it, and we are going to be very obstinate in in order to achieve it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait for that. That's very exciting. Uh, thank you again, Sergio, for um, being a guest on the uh, on the podcast. It's been it's been really interesting to kind of just dive in and find out how something like Jabaro is put together. Amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew, for your time, and thank you to your audience as well for giving me a little bit of time to talk about what I love. Actually, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much to Sergio for taking the time to chat with me, and thank you for listening. And if you like the episode, I'm planning a few more in this series. So please hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. Imagine that.